0: Venivores, voice a podcast about hunting for people who don't hunt or haven't hunted or haven't hunted much want to learn or want to learn
1: it's time for us to feel that tingling in the back of my neck you have to be there you have to be there you don't know it at the time yeah. you know but it sticks with you all your life and you you don't experience those things unless you are a hunter
0: Welcome back to the New Venivores podcast about hunting for people who don't hunt or want to know more about hunting or are new to hunting or uh, want more information about hunting in general. Um, And it's about fishing too, or want to learn how to hunt. And it's about fishing too. I am Tony Martinson.
1: And I am Adam Miller. Cheers, brother. Good to see you again. Mm-hmm.
0: So, we have, our our whole point about this podcast, if you haven't listened before, is to engage people who are new to uh, consumptive or traditional or uh, outdoorsmanship as far as hunting and fishing and uh, sort of take my experience as a new and returning hunter and fisherman and bounce it off of Miller's experience as a lifelong, quite well experienced hunter and fisherman and to try and uh, put the experiences uh, just getting into this particular, uh, I guess, recreational pursuit, although I don't really see it that way um, out there to make it uh, more accessible and document the Mm -hmm. finer points of getting more into hunting as an adult. Or as somebody who has never done it before. Because I personally have found that quite interesting and challenging at times. So, I'm in Minnesota. Anoka, to be specific, sitting in my dining room. And we're chatting on Skype. Um, So, I was driving through my neighborhood the other day. And, lo and behold, I've spoken before about there's this flock of turkeys that lives in in the neighborhood up in a guy's tree and I've actually seen them in my front yard. Um but lo and behold, I came across this flock of turkeys. I was in like a neighborhood park and I was mm-hmm. driving through the park in the morning and all of a sudden this like flock of turkeys was there and I was like, "Oh yeah, you can hunt those." And I'm kind of uh is never something that was we hunted much when I was growing up or at all actually. It was always pheasants and grouse and ducks and geese and deer and that's it so it's a new one for me apparently kind of a big deal people are into it i guess
1: from what i understand um there are people that are absolute fanatics about turkey hunting like, like they, they live for that my, my father-in-law that's it yeah right? my father-in-law if he had to choose like one thing to hunt from here to the rest of his life it would be turkey hunting which is kind of crazy to me yeah. But I guess I I appreciate, like, fanaticism right. in, like, all forms. Like, people that are, like, dedicated to a craft and, like, energetic mm-hmm. about it and, like, just strive to become masters of their craft, whether that's hunting or whatever. Like, it's hard not to respect that. So, Absolutely.
0: I mean, and, like, it's only been on my radar for a year or two that mm-hmm. people are that into it, and that even just a small amount of, Exposure I've had to people being fanatical about turkey hunting it seems like if you're going to be fanatical about hunting, there are two types: either ducks or turkey, and that ins- seems to inspire the most fanaticism that I've found.
1: <laughs> you you might be right. I I've always said waterfall hunters are a special kind of crazy, and yeah, um, and I suppose turkey hunters are just a different special kind of crazy. Yeah, so. yeah.
0: But it's not something I know much of anything about, so this is going to be a steep learning curve for me. But there is a spring season here in my lovely state of Minnesota, and uh, I was just looking at it actually in my trusty Minnesota hunting and trapping and regulations handbook here, and uh, it's coming up here in uh, April. That's so, when it starts. Yep. Yep.
1: As I as I understand, you guys have like five seasons that run like nine days each and they're like overlapping weekends so like the end of the a season like coincides with the start of the b season i think that's how it works yeah and i think like you guys have to apply for a tag if you want to hunt like the a b or c season and if you want to hunt later in the year you can just like, buy over-the-counter digs.
0: And I think that's how it works in the fall. And okay. I think the spring is exact opposite. Because um, I'm looking at the page right now, and it says, season A is lottery plus surplus. Season B mm-hmm. is lottery or surplus. And those are the 17th through the 30th of April. And then once you get into May, there's season C, D, E, and F. And uh c d and e are hunter selected and i don't know what that actually means
1: um, i think that's like over the counter like they're on sale until they're gone oh, like a okay. quota type deal and then there's there might be zones attached to that too so
0: right. yes so uh for firearm hunters who purchase an over-the-counter permit must select a hunt in one permit area but for archery, and this is for spring only, they may hunt throughout the combined time periods in any permit area. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm taking that trusted
1: 12 gauge out there. I'm taking that 870. And that's that. how most folks uh, turkey hunt is with a the shotgun. There's uh, an even more dedicated group of folks that hunt turkeys with a bow, yeah. you know, and uh, and more power to you, but it like it is incredibly difficult because you basically have to be able to nail a moving three-inch target. Yeah, isn't you it know? like,
0: isn't it, isn't the vitals just impossibly
1: small in a turkey when you're trying to nail it with the bow? You can shoot, you can either shoot in the head, which is what most people do. And that's what most people do with shotguns. They generally avoid a body shot. Okay. Um, but there is a spot that's like straight up from the leg. And it's just a tiny little spot. I, I think that's how it is, that you can also can shoot with a bow. But you need to have like a turkey broadside on you, which means so. And, 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 and it's a tiny spot. And to put that into perspective, like turkeys have superhuman sight. Like and they pick up on movement like crazy. So yeah. like drawing a bow, incredibly tough. So like the process is like incredibly tough to do without being, being causing seen. enough movement
0: to be seen yeah. and spooking them away.
1: Mm-hmm. okay and they're they're very wary critters a lot of things that like to eat turkeys so hmm. if you're trying to eat a or you know pull back a bow and that turkey's in sight like he's going to take off and that's that so what a lot of guys do is they got to wait for like the turkey to start strutting which is you know fan out his tail feathers and like turn away from them draw their bow and wait for the turkey to turn or they gotta wait for his head to be behind a tree or bush, something where he can't see you to block his, you know, the, the block your movement of drawing your bow, which is a lot of, a lot of movement. Or some guys use like ground blinds or what have you, but it it, it adds a layer of difficulty. Um, that if you're up to the challenge, yeah, highly recommend it. But, um, I would I prefer a shotgun, but that's just me.
0: So I have a friend that lives in a small town, uh, sort of north uh, west of me here, that I used to work with, and way back when, when I was, shortly after I listened to the previously mentioned NPR article, I was talking to him about how I wanted to get back into hunting again early on in my sort of journey here, and uh, he offered me to go bow hunting with him, and I was like, I don't have a permit, I don't know how to shoot a bow, whatever, and he's like, that's fine, just come and hang out and, you know, help me spot, help me call. We'll sit in my blind. And I didn't do it because uh, my older brother was coming into town at the time and he wanted to, uh, my friend that wanted me to go hunting, wanted to leave and be in the field at 3.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the time, with the state of... uh, activities that myself and my older brother typically uh, engaged in when we were getting together it was definitely not in the cards to be there at 3:30 in the morning out <laughs> in the field um unless i just never slept and then i probably would ruin the whole thing for him so i didn't ever make it but uh he had i mean he was fanatical and he set the ground blind and all that stuff and uh you know i would and all the decoys and calling him in and all that stuff so um, I don't know that I'm going to be able to get that intense about it myself this first go-around. Um, the fun thing about turkeys is it seems like I get two opportunities in a year to have a decent season and get out there and really learn. Um, but that was one of the questions I have is, like again, with the for the sake of keeping it sort of DIY and uh, accessible – Cause I could easily go out and spend a few hundred bucks on a ground blind and a set of decoys and calls and, 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 right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I know that's one way of doing it is, as I understand it, you can set up a blind or find a place that is well hidden in cover. You can set up a decoy out there, right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know the particulars of what is an, or is not a good decoy set or whatever. Um, and then you can essentially try and, as they migrate out of their roost in the morning, you can try and set up in their way, or in a path where you think they're going to be, and call them in. To are you trying to get the males to challenge your decoy that you have out there, or is it just that, a thing that's close enough
1: that that is certainly. Interest? A- yeah, that is certainly a strategy. Okay. Um, they can be very ag- aggressive. You know, that's their the spring is their breeding season essentially, yeah. Yeah. and you're kind of trying to do what's opposite as in nature. In nature, the the hens go to the toms. The okay. toms strut and you know and 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 uh, kind of um, show off for the ladies. So when you're hunting them, you're Something. actually trying to. Sound like a hen and draw a tom to you. Sounds like turkey's got it figured out, man.
0: If only, right?
1: <laughs> if only. So, you know, what is a typical setup is a guy oftentimes have one hen decoy mm-hmm. and one, usually what's called a Jake decoy, which is an immature uh, male turkey. Yeah. And Sorry, what can you're I trying... stop you for
0: just a second? Can we go over mm-hmm. terminology just a little bit? Like, because sure. there's a whole other language Uh With turkeys, as with all animals, right? But Mm -hmm. so they're called a group is called a flock. Am I correct? Yeah. Okay. And when they go to roost, they fly up into trees at night, and that's and I think this is common for
1: all ground birds, right? Or Uh, for a lot of them, yeah, it's a lot safer um, than on the ground. So yeah,
0: and when they go to roost, is they essentially go to bed up in the trees, Mm -hmm. and they come down during the day to eat and strut and make babies and all that right and Mm -hmm. then um so a mature male is called a tom is that right Mm -hmm. yep an immature male which is usually like a first year male is that correct yep that's called a jake yep and then the ladies are just the hens, right right okay and the noise they make is called a gobble, but there are many, or they can do other noises, which I would like to discuss after your <laughs> primer here. Um, because as I understand it, it can be quite a varied language.
1: But, they're a, a super vocal, social bird. Okay. You know, because those flocks can be, you know, huge, you know, so they're not a, a loner species by any means. So they're constantly, constantly communicating. Okay. Um, so, your, your toms, your older male birds, you know, they got that long beard. So, you'll hear a lot of people call them long beards. And there's a, any number of uh, slang terms for turkeys from turkey hunters called thunder chickens, jelly heads, um, whatever. Because, you know, in the spring of the year, it, it can be quite the demonstration. They can have, like, red or blue or, like, a whitish head that they'll basically change colors. Yeah. You know, and they're just uh, and it, it, it can be dinner and a show essentially. Nice. So, okay.
0: So you were saying a lot of one. The common setup is you're in a blind or you're blinded somehow mm-hmm. as a hunter. You're concealed, mm-hmm. and you set up a Jake a Jake decoy and a hen decoy.
1: That's a very common setup. Okay. Um, you know, and uh, other people do even like a, a Tom that's like strutting, um, you know, there and uh, um, it, it's kind of what you're comfortable with, you know, and what you want to pack in, you know, I, and by no means have I had a lot of success turkey hunting, I've called mm. in a few birds. Mm. Um, but it's, you know, my typical setup is like a, a hen decoy and a Tom or a, a Jake, um, setup. And I usually, usually try and set that Jake up to where, he looks like he's about to have his way with that hen. So behind her, and okay. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, what, you, you, <laughs> I'm having
0: a hard time picturing what that is for a turkey. But
1: <laughs> I'm uh, trying to be politically correct here. But you're tr- you're trying to trigger a um, a response, a you know, an aggressive, "Hey, that's my lady!" response. Okay, uh, I just in, didn't know if they
0: like. <gasps> I'm going to just let it rip. I didn't know if they did it like doggy style or something different than that. Like, I don't know.
1: Good way of putting it.
0: (laughs) It seems to be fairly common across the animal kingdom, but, uh, birds seem to be potentially an exception to that rule. So I wasn't sure. Mm
1: -hmm. So what, you know, turkeys are very visual and very auditory. Um, my father-in-law likes to say if they could smell, you'd never get one. (laughs) Um, so well, and that's now good they can You don't got to worry about the wind playing the yeah, wind. Yeah, the as wind much. isn't as big a deal for them winding you as in smelling you, but it is a big deal for how your sound carries. Oh, okay. So you do want to pay attention to that. You know, you if you're trying to let's say you spot or you know where your roosting birds are, and let's say you're between them and the feeding area, you know that's a a good place to be right away in the morning, and you want to try and bring that tom within shotgun range of you. You know, if the wind is blowing you know, from them to you at a good 20 to 30 mile an hour howl, they're probably not going to hear you, you know, so you got to pay attention to that. And, you know, you might have to adjust accordingly since they know a lot of time, you know, they can be loud, but other times when they're really close and flocked up together, like unless you're right next to them, you won't hear them. But, you know, you know, they're talking constantly, you know, there are little putts and clucks and what have you. So Mm -hmm. it's, uh, the wind you need to take the wind into consideration for that, but you don't really have to worry about them winding you for smell anyway. Okay.
0: Okay. So if you're going to go about it in that fashion, what you really want to do is scout your spot, right? Like always (laughs) find your flock. Uh, I'm going to do public land and I have more to say about that. Um, and how I'm going to find that a little later on, but, uh, you've which I'm probably gonna have to work my ass off for and I mean I would be I'm not going in and expecting to not be successful, but it's a first time around and it's gonna be a huge learning experience for me. So it'll be fun to be out there. Um and gonna have to earn your stripes, yep. Try to figure it out, right? Um and absolutely. But uh so you find your flock you do your scouting and know do they tend to generally roost in the same place or is it like a deer where you could i mean potentially see a monster one time and then it's gone forever
1: right that is a matter of great contention ah okay so maybe <laughs> potentially <laughs> yeah that may be the case yep
0: okay okay fair so, enough they so they it's definitely like any wild animals areas, what you're telling they-
1: me yeah, they definitely yeah. have their areas they you know that they prefer you know I have a flock that I know of that I I can count on pretty regularly to be within a couple hundred yards yeah. of that spot okay. you know so that's you know I'm hunting you know, private land again this spring I got drawn from my unit and um, a great thing about turkeys um, for hunters when it comes to um, agricultural landowners is most landowners don't like turkeys much.
0: Yeah, I've I've, uh, kind of picked up on that a little bit. They seem like a little bit of a nuisance, right?
1: Yep, and it's it's because they can be so destructive with like put up feed for livestock. So it's um, oftentimes they're um, grudgingly tolerated. So it's oftentimes you know it's usually a kind word can get you access to to those uh, private land birds. They basically
0: just uh, eat all the food that you put out for your livestock. Is what you're saying, right?
1: They'll do that, but, like, even more so, they'll, like, pick through and, like, get all the good stuff and, like, ruin the, like, mediocre or the filler, Okay. Know? Okay. Well,
0: I can see why, uh, why your landowners and animal keepers, your livestock growers would, uh, find that extremely annoying.
1: <laughs> yes, very annoying. So, um... It it's a quiver in the or arrow in the quiver, I guess, for getting access. You know, that's you know, even for you know, they turkeys and deer share a lot of habitat. So let's yeah. say you got it good with a guy, you wanted a turkey hunt, and he lets you turkey hunt for a couple of years, learns the, you know, starts trusting him, maybe you can even get in with you know a deer hunting later. So for sure, for sure. Um,
0: I just did a quick search because last uh, last fall we were going to try and make it out. Uh, we have a mutual friend. Who has some (laughs) land with a reliable turkey flock on it? uh, Yes,
1: he does. I've seen.
0: (laughs) Yeah, is fairly uh, unpressured, I believe, and has been for years. But being a Minnesota resident, when I called the DNR and asked, they said that there it would take an act of Congress for me to be able to come (laughs) hunt turkeys in North Dakota as an outstate resident. So it's fine for the spring season. For the spring season, not fall.
1: I think for the fall season, you can buy them. Oh. I'll
0: think i double-check
1: that for you. Okay. I feel like I asked
0: last fall, but it might have been spring. I don't remember. And I can do a quick search on it, too. Um, and I just searched on it. There are, last KFGO said anything, there are 900 turkey licenses left for spring in North Dakota, but only for residents.
1: That was five days ago, and they're already gone. I nice. tried picking up a second one. Okay,
0: <laughs> well, I didn't read the date on my article, but I, that's good information to know that it goes that fast because apparently folks are fanatical about it. Um, yeah. Okay, so that's generally the method, though, right? Like you find your flock, you uh, isn't apparent. It, seem, it would seem to be good to know where they roost and typically where they're going to feed or. Mm-hmm. Uh. So, to get into a little bit more details, I would I would think, personally, I'm probably looking for a place that has decent tree cover um, to roost, but I would think that it would be next to some sort of, or close to some sort of food source, potentially, like a grain field or something like that.
1: Yep, um, they can be very um, uh, keyed in on different egg sources. Okay. Um you know, I mean, they're they're opportunistic. You know, they mm. like they like bugs. They'll eat acorns. They'll eat grains. They'll okay. eat vegetation. They'll eat berries. Um, you know, there there's a lot of things in the animal kingdom that are like that. They have the things that they really truly like. Some are some species are even ob- obligatory to certain like uh, plant species that they have to have. Um, but the ones that thrive the most are opportunistic. So okay.
0: Um, And, I mean, that makes perfect sense because when I was in the deer stand this last fall, uh, mm-hmm. I had, you know, I I said previously I saw those two does like a couple of hundred yards off in the distance and that's it for deer. But there was one hen that I sat there and watched half the day poking around on the forest floor just by herself mm-hmm. out in the forest out there. And, you know, there was a grouse that was doing the same. But, uh, so it seems like, like with all wild animals, they are general, and game animals, there are general uh, things that they kind of do, but it can always, it's always just a wild card mm-hmm. for outliers,
1: right? I think that's why some of those guys get so fanatic about them, is that they're... trying to figure it out, huh? Just trying to figure it out. Like, they can be successful 10, 12 years in a row, in a row and then be humbled, you know, like... <laughs> What on earth is going on? What do these turkeys learn? Yeah, and, um, you know, and that's what keeps them going out. So, for sure. You know, they, you have some people tell you they're the smartest thing they've ever hunted. And then you'll have other people tell you those are the stupidest things ever. I have to chase them off my deck in the morning with a broom, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, they're kind of, uh, they're uh, an anomaly. So, okay. And, uh, and, um, uh, that's you know that shouldn't lead to intimidation it should lead to excitement so yeah absolutely the
0: more i hear about it the more i absolutely see why people find it exhilarating and fascinating because i mean and that can generally be said about hunting and fishing in general right like Mm -hmm. i mean fishing i think we both know guys that i know guys that keep journals of everything atmospheric conditions like barometric pressure, wind direction, cloud Mm -hmm. cover of every day they go fishing to try and pattern something out. But at the end of the day, sometimes they bite and sometimes they don't. And that's (laughs) it. It'll
1: drive you up the wall trying to figure it out. But that's
0: also part of the fun. And I think uh, think that's something that hunters have in common, is that they think that that's fun to try and figure Mm -hmm. out instead of driven bonkers. Or maybe Mm -hmm. being driven bonkers is part of the fun, but... Yeah. you know and at, at the end it's fun so
1: right. um so mm-hmm. i mentioned that uh they're they're very auditory they're very visual so that the key some of the key things for turkey hunting yeah. is um obviously you gotta have, you're gonna want to have a call of some sort right that was into yeah and don't be intimidated by the number of calls out there they kind of <laughs> i mean yeah. there's Thousands, there's you know, a reed
0: call and a box call, and those are yeah. the only two I know because, but there are many others that I yeah. am led to believe.
1: Yeah, there's there's um, like mouth calls, mm-hmm. um, that's like you said with a reed or a diaphragm call, and um, that they're um, I'm not great at the diaphragm call with a turkey, I'm getting better with an elk, but there's like some people just cannot blow them, you know, they just choke on them. It's something that sits like in the back of your mouth, and you're using like tongue pressure. Like against the top of your the roof of your mouth to like and blow an air up literally from trying to get it come from your diaphragm, and it and and there there's definitely a learning curve there. Yeah. Um, Okay. Now there's what's called like a box call, which is literally a wood box and it's got like a piece of almost like chalk in it, and and it's got a lid on it that's got like a, a a hinge on a on a like a thing think it was almost like a bolt Mm. and then the lid of the the lid of it scratches back and forth on this kind of chalk like thing and it's attached and it's a rubber band around the whole thing so it snaps back in and those people been using those for hundreds of years and it's just a screech 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 type noise so you're essentially
0: trying to like make the Mm. chalk creak across the box is that it
1: yeah, kind of. Okay. <laughs> and obviously, this is something that, like I can't over podcast. It's hard to like show. You know, right. look this up on like a a, a Google anywhere or pot or YouTube. Yeah. And uh, so those those box calls are very effective. People have been using them for decades. A Lot a lot of turkeys have met their demise to them. Um, I, would I don't have. Would be,
0: sorry, I would think it would be tougher because you'd have to use your hands to make your calls rather than. And that's
1: you- why. Yep. Yeah, that's why I don't like them or having to use them is because you're making I feel more movement yeah um you know there's ways to hide it you know, you hold it you have your knees up and have it deep in your lap and working back and forth you know but it and they're so they're absolutely effective you know if that's what you want to use use them um but I use uh, two different calls actually uh, uh my main one is um kind of character characterizes a slate call okay it's a round disc and it's got a stick kind of mm-hmm. that you drag across and it's got, um, so it's a, a round disc that's sitting on like um, plastic or wood platform, depending on what you buy. And so it's got a hollow underneath of it. I almost think of it as like the top of a drum. Okay. So you get that hollow or like a resonating chamber
0: yeah. and
1: you, you move and there's different kinds of sticks Essentially, whether it's an aluminum or a plastic or whatever, and you kind of you got to drag that stick across the surface of that plate that and it makes your different turkey calls. Then that, okay. That's the kind I usually use, and then um, th- they're real simple, anyone can learn to use them, okay, you know. And then, even simpler yet, I have a like it's like a button call you just slide a button back and forth and it makes kind of that same very simple clucks usually and i have that strapped to my shotgun which oh, okay. which i can move which i can use with you know let's say i got that bird coming in i got my shotgun resting on my knee you know and i, I got sitting in such a place to where i can hide my thumb movement pushing that button you know behind the call itself type deal yeah almost so like if i just need to make one more little squeak to like get that turkey to pop his head out with me not with moving the most minimal amount possible um i have that you know and it's it's not my main call i don't like the sound of it as much but it's enough sounding like a turkey that if i need just a tiny little finisher you know that's that's what i use just
0: a little gentle persuasion right there at the end right
1: yep Maybe if I just need him to stick his head out, you know, it's behind a bush or something like that, you know, mm. that I can, um, you know, without making a, you know, a huge movement, which will send them scattering right away. Right. So.
0: Okay. So, yeah. So that was one of the main questions I had. And, like, so they do – they make all sorts of different noises, right? Mm-hmm. So I've heard people say that to get their attention – They'll cut at them. Yep. And that's typically a noise that you hear females making, right? Little chirp.
1: Yep. Yep. I'm. Uh. And to be honest, I'm not gonna. I couldn't even speak to all the different like terminology and right. stuff to Okay. Them. You know, there's cuts. There's clucks. There's purrs. There's. Uh. And you know, like, I mean, and some of them sound exactly what you would think. You know. Uh, you know, the purrs. <laughs> You know, and it, yeah. it sounds like a content, you know. Like my cat you know, is like, leaning against my like computer camper, right yeah. you know, And I think it kind of means the same thing, you know. The, you know, they're just a, a happy hen. She maybe just peck around and finds a nice grub or something, you know. You that know, would and, be
0: extremely interesting if cats and turkeys both purred when they're happy. No, it's not
1: quite the same, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Cl- a cluck is a main, uh, is a very just, it's, it's, they're... they're their most common uh, communication yep. as, as far as I know, you know, so kind of like a chicken it, clock
0: then I would assume.
1: Kind of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, but it again, these are things that it, it's a lot better to like watch some videos on just because right. it's hard. And I'm not a great Turkey caller. Okay. Um, I have to rely on stupid turkeys and, <laughs> and I'm fine. It, so, yeah. so, and, and so, so we talked a little bit earlier about seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, again, this is, is in general. The, oftentimes, the best times to go are very early in the season or very late in the season. And okay. the reasons are, so very early in the season, the turkeys haven't been hunted yet. Right? No pressure. No pressure. They're, they're just getting started, you know, and they're just starting to kind of um, the, – the hens are just starting to pair up, right? So, like, every hen in the woods – is looking for a tom right so or or they're just or they're just starting to so all the toms are looking for those hens
0: right all the toms are open to the hens looking for them yeah so it's just
1: those first and i should take that back a little bit so it's those first few hens looking right so it's the toms being um they have less targets of opportunity i guess for breeding right (laughs) so you get to the middle of the season right and now all the you know the eighty percent of the hands are ready you know so yeah. you're calling against those other eighty percent of those hands.
0: Oh, I get it. You
1: know? So yeah. it's they're swarmed with opportunity, so they're not. It's going so to be pickier. To yeah, they're easy yeah. to be pickier. Okay. Okay. Now you get to the tail end of the season. Yeah. Now yeah, the turkeys have been hunted hard. You know there's you know there's a there's probably more turkey hunters now than there's ever been, but that's also because there's more turkeys now than there's ever been. We're in the yeah uh, we're. Very good age of turkey in it right now, but now you're at the last 10% of those hens that still haven't settled down on the nest, and they're still looking for a tom. So you're back to like kind of those conditions at the beginning of the season, where there, you know, there's more toms looking for hens than there is hens looking for toms.
0: So even though there's more pressure, the mm-hmm. to put it bluntly, the guys are getting more desperate again.
1: Right, but it, you're also, you know, all the guys that have either tagged out yeah. or given up. Or don't you have know. time anymore. Don't have time anymore. You're getting later in the year. You're getting into May. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you get into May, you start dealing with more things like ticks, which some guys are very aver- <laughs> adverse to. Oh,
0: yeah, I did hear that. Like, if you're going to yeah. go turkey hunting, just get used to the idea that you're going to be covered in ticks.
1: Yep. <laughs>
0: <Okay>. <laughs>
1: Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, they're all, you know. So, but if you're going mid-April, you know, right. probably not a lot of ticks out yet. Well, also, it's so, one of those
0: things where you just need to embrace the suck more than the other guys. Yeah. Be, get uncomfortable or get comfortable where other men are uncomfortable, and you will find success more often.
1: That is very true. Which is,
0: I find to be very good life advice, actually. <laughs> but
1: <laughs> it is, man. That's you know, the people that are most successful in life or in hunting are generally the people that put in a whole lot of work to gain that knowledge early, you know, so it's easy later. So,
0: (laughs) well, I'm starting that journey this spring. Mm -hmm. So um, what if I don't have a decoy or a super nice uh, pop out blind that I can set up and all that stuff? Is it possible to, I mean, clearly you can find, if I find a nice spot with a flock, I can find some deadfall or something to sit under to mask my Mm -hmm. uh, position, hopefully real nice right on that daily movement path, all that stuff. Um, Is it possible to see a flock that's kind of out there doing their thing, strutting around and whatever, is it possible to like move position to the point where you could get into a reliable shooting position with a spread on your shotgun like essentially stock
1: it would take a perfect type condition where you know that like they're just over the hill and you have nothing that's going to give you away for sound as you're coming around or over the hill it it would be very difficult okay um i, I would think that would be uber low percentage um if you had let's let's say you're in your your um situation here i would put more emphasis on getting a call first sure. which you can probably find oh. for probably like less than 20 bucks yeah you know decoys are probably a little bit more and i just use like cheap styrofoam decoys okay so i like mine are nothing special and i would be um I would emphasize on calling more because even if they can't see that decoy, they hear it, you know, they're going to keep searching. They might keep sure. searching for one. So you if i just the, put, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. But the opposite is if you just put decoys out there quiet, you know, if you're not in line of sight. They're not going to see those no matter, okay. you know, you'll never get their attention. So, so the
0: calling is the bigger thing.
1: I, I would to, to immediately get that attention. Yes.
0: Okay. So I can be sitting in concealment, whatever that may be. And, uh, I can, if I rip out some calls and well, not necessarily rip them out, but if I throw some calls out there, they, depending on the level of interest, again, probably some visual stimulation would up the probability as well, but they would potentially come investigating a call, looking for what's out there, if they can hear it, which could get them in range better than just visual stimulation in the form of a decoy with no noise
1: yep okay. I, I would say that's the more likely scenario okay, okay. and it and I've, and I've learned this the hard way um when you pick up or when you set your spot for where you're, you set your decoys out in front of you and you're gonna and you're gonna call to them, yeah. make sure that you are at or, or tr- do your best to put the decoys between you and the bird okay right Cause they're going to key in on that sound. Like I've made the mistake before of setting my decoys at like a 90 degree angle to where the birds were, or where oh, I thought yeah. they were going to be. Cause I wanted to draw them out in the open. So I thought like, I thought the decoys would draw their attention and they would walk over the decoys. Yeah. And he pinpointed my sound from, I have no far, how close or how far away he was when he heard me, but I, I mean I literally called this turkey in to less than 10 feet, but I had my back to a tree and mm. I was and I, I couldn't I never saw him. Yeah. He just came in you know and I couldn't swing I couldn't do anything he, but he had me pinpointed on that sound. So you know and, and, and you're gonna get busted sometimes by right. these turkeys eventually you're, you know but um, if you can do that because you know then they can associate that sound with that turkey. Uh Decoy he never saw the decoys he only heard the sound, so
0: the cat's rubbing on the microphone if you're not smart um okay, that's good to know that's very very good to know actually um the fact that you say that they are so sensitive to motion and sound really kind of is perplexing because maybe they're just a different set of circumstances when they're in. Season, as it were, um, but, like, I drove literally right up to this flock of turkeys in my neighborhood <laughs> the other day and, like, rolled down the window and was practicing my gobble call, them <laughs> that I've done before. Because, <laughs> hey, you know how to get to Carnegie Hall, right? Uh, so Step at a time. Yeah, just practice. Um, but, I mean, like, they could not give a shit if I was there. Mm -hmm. Like, it was the space of a boulevard away from my car. I could have... It felt like I could have walked right up and touched them. They didn't care at all. Not even a little bit. And I was tooting the horn at them because I heard that they do a thing called shock gobbling, where if there is a loud noise, the whole flock will just... or Part of the flock will just stick their head out and gobble at whatever noise that they hear. Mm -hmm. So... And it's—I've heard that it's a good way of identifying if your flock is actually where you think it is. If you just like rip a loud noise of some kind, you could either scare them off or they could just gobble at it back. You yeah. know.
1: And there's hundreds of things that they'll shot gobble to. <laughs>
0: yeah, I've heard. I was listening to a different podcast talking about turkeys trying to get myself uh, trying to get myself educated about this, and they went around a group of like eight people and said, what's the weirdest thing you've heard turkeys shot gobble at? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) Like a Jake break and (laughs) like, uh, somebody like dropped their coffee cup on the ground and the turkeys like shot gobbled at that. And the one that stands out in my head is like a Jake break from a semi, but (laughs) Mm -hmm. like they'll do it at anything, I guess. So I was, I don't know. I had an opportunity to sort of knowing that I'm going to be attempting to turkey hunt this spring. I wanted to just study their movement a little bit, watch them move around, kind of make some noises at them, see how they reacted, you know, listen to the noises they were making at each other, because I was close enough that they could, I could hear just that, you know, little chirps and Mm -hmm. clucks, and I don't think I heard one purr, but. Yeah. um,
1: Well, I mean, you were in, so. I was in a neighborhood. Yeah. With urban sprawl, there's definitely getting to be more urban wildlife. That includes turkeys and deer and whatever. So yours were probably pretty well conditioned to uh, vehicles. Right. At that point. Yeah. Um, So there's a good chance that like they're okay with you in the car. Like if you just stepped out of the car, like they might have took off. You know, you'll see that with whatever, you know, you'll see that with different animals that how they're get conditioned. Like when I'm, let's say I'm like, there's times I'm out working, um, you know, out this ranch I work at, and coyotes. Coyotes are super wary around humans, right? Yellow-eyed and bastards. Like, Yeah. <laughs> so I can be out there feeding cows in the tractor, and that coyote might approach within 100 yards. He's, not, he's conditioned to the tractor. He's not yep. worried about the tractor. You come out with a pickup, you come out with a four-wheeler, and they're running for the hills. Okay. So it's there's just certain things that they will – they just become conditioned to because they're 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 having a harder and harder time to avoid any and all human contact. Obviously, right. Right. so if they are were going to panic and go into the fright of fight or fright, you know, every time they saw human activity, um, they'd be burning through energy faster than they could consume it. You know, For sure. so For sure. and and that's just that's something they've adapted to.
0: Okay. And, I mean, when I was, I saw one previously in the middle of the street when I was on a training run, and uh, I could, I damn near ran right up to the thing. I was definitely mm-hmm. in shotgun range before it went to roost, but was, I, I guarantee it was the same flock. That was a block away from where that happened before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, when I'm out there, and I'm in whatever concealment I have, and I've got at least a call, more than likely I'll get my hands on. If I was to get one decoy, what would be the best decoy? A hen?
1: I would go with a hen. Okay.
0: So you got a hen and a call out there, and I'm calling them in. I'm trying to get that – well, so there's Toms, Jakes, and hens. Uh, Toms have a beard, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that shock of feathers that come sticking right out of the middle of their chest,
1: right? Yep. And it's, they're, it's unmistakable. like, a, yeah, it is almost, it is a straight, like, co- it looks like coarse hair mm-hmm. feather. They're in a bunch. You can think of them as like, if you were to like scrunch it together, and it, it'd be about the diameter of a dime, you know, a dime yeah. to a quarter, let's say. And it comes straight out of their chest and it's, it's very distinguishable. I mean, they you couldn't miss it. So So identifying the
0: males is very easy because that's a male thing. I've heard that like one in an absurdly large number of hens has a beard, but typically the regulations are for bearded birds, right? Because of that.
1: Because of that. And 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 it's very, very few. So that's, you know, you're right. That's why the rule is as such because a guy would accidentally shoot a bearded hen and he would be out of compliance with the law right so you know is that and but if they teach you this is how you identify one is that fair for yeah. a guy to be written up for shooting a bearded hen? Right. probably not so they don't say a male turkey or a female turkey they say one bearded turkey because or or you know in that for limb you know in that is ninety nine point nine nine percent of turkeys, yeah. so bearded turkeys would be male, right? Right. right. So, generally speaking, and, and I think this is for certain, and I think this is ubiquitous across all the states, is only bearded, essentially male turkeys are legal game in the spring of the year.
0: Right. In That's the fall I'm of here.
1: the year, some states, like my own, allow basically you can take any turkey with the tank. So same um, here. Yeah, there's a fair amount of hens that get shot too. So fall
0: hunting, one either sex turkey may be taken, straight yep. out of the manual here. Mm-hmm. So okay, so that's how you identify it. So I'm sitting there, um, with my call in my concealment, with my mm-hmm. hen decoy, cutting, chirping, making noises, whatever mm-hmm. they may be, trying to get, watching a ton of YouTube videos in the next couple of weeks here to try and figure out what the what the heck I'm doing with those, practicing a bunch, call it in. So what I'm trying to get it to do is they strut, like you said, right? They fan out their tails. Yep. And a lot of times when I see them do that, they pull their head way in. Yep. But if I'm shooting at the head, I want to get it to stick its head out, right? If you can, yeah. Otherwise, you just let it rip right at that noggin, huh? Right. Okay. Well,
1: you want to – You're doing like yeah, right I mean, under the head. Absolute, You're trying
0: to get it in kind of neck-throat area. Yeah, right?
1: you, you, absolutely, if you can get it to do it, is yeah, to stay on Brad's side, stick its head out real nice and far, give you perfect, perfect shot to, you know, to take. But don't count on that. It's like the deer turning you sideways
0: know. going right here, right above his elbow, back just a little bit, right? Yeah, you know, never do that's
1: that. The, yeah, that's the perfect opportunity to, you know, have the least wasted meat. Right. Um, you know, and and, and that's that would be great if it happened every time, <laughs> but right. you know, so there's gonna be times where they'll come in running. You know, you know, you're gonna have a shot before they'll, you know, they'll they'll ever have a chance to fan out. You know, and okay. then you'll be able to take a shot. At them. There'll be times where they come sneaking in. You know, you might call at them 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. And he won't come. You know, I mean, there's times where you let out two clucks and he's on top of you, Okay. you know, so it's, it, you generally want to in these sets, you know, that you, when you're calling, you probably want to, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. It's probably a good, a good time to, Yeah. um, and you know, if you don't get one right away in the morning, you know, there's there's a lot of guys that. Uh, you know mid-morning to you know one two in the afternoon you know that's when they're you know that's when they kill the most of their toms i've so heard don't... the uh
0: blind nap is a time-honored tradition in turkey hunting
1: and i i think that's an obligatory thing because like the guys get up at like two in the morning to be in the woods woods at three thirty in the morning and, yeah you know you have to nap <laughs> mm-hmm. so i'm i'm more of a i hunt i'm the only one that hunts the certain flock that i hunt so I have no interest at in being out there at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> so like, I'll get out there about daybreak.
0: I, on the other hand, unless I can uh, chat with a couple of folks I know that are very, very long shots, um, I'm going to have to be out there earlier and stay longer than everyone else to make it happen for myself, I'm assuming.
1: Quite likely, yeah.
0: All right then. So everything goes great. Call them in. He turns aside to me, sticks his head out, says, "Here you go, Tony right here." and it's you know i i think it's probably a good idea to pattern out the shotgun too, right, mm-hmm. and get the ranges down and all that stuff for so I can because I know sort of what's in range for by shooting clays for the wing mm-hmm. shot, right, but uh from ground to ground. Would be interesting to see that, and I'm running a full choke just to mm, get the that's good. just to get mm. the distance out of it. Um, it's been a long time since I punched a bird out of the sky with that, but you know, great. <laughs> right. um, but I feel like it'd be, probably be better for Turkey to have a full choke just so you get that maximum distance out of your spread on that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so then, let's say I rock that thing, and am I want to run right up to it just like a uh, pheasant and go make sure the deed is done or what do you do after you make your shot depends on what happens i suppose
1: yeah that's what a lot of guys suggest is that um you'll actually sometimes you'll you'll hit a turkey and it'll look like it's down and then it'll, it'll get up running again so yeah okay. get after it right away you don't want to I mean, let it
0: happen you don't want to let it and trail it like a deer
1: no because it you're first of all you're not gonna have a blood trail yeah like it it just it's not very very unlikely on a turkey um so yeah i'd get up on it right away so. okay go out and just
0: make sure it's done for immediately yep i can do Finish that the job. i can do that and then uh, i'm sure there's a million different videos on uh ways to preserve the fan they have the thorn the the spikes on the back of their feet spurs spurs yep. sure yep um that seems to be a pretty legit trophy that guys like to
1: keep on those some guys like to keep that yeah what a lot of guys is what you're talking about is they'll spread that fan out and you can cure that Mm -hmm. and you can like mount that to like a like a semi-circle plaque of wood or something like that yeah and then a lot of times they'll also have that beard like on it too you know so that's kind of the um the trophy aspect of the bird if if that's what you're interested in so
0: well yeah i'm out there to learn how to do it and to Mm -hmm. get the meat um, but well, it's sh- perfectly okay to make more of the animal than just the meat. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so. and I'm sure there are a million different videos on best ways to, uh, get the most meat off of that thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure well, you breast I- it out just like typically like a bird, right?
1: Yep. Well, there's, you know, there you're. They're a very big bird, and if you look at like a wild bird compared to like a like a store bought bird, yeah. you'd swear they weren't even the same animal. Right. Like they have a very different way. Like their legs are like twice as long. Yeah, you know because they were they're they they have not been bred for a hundred years. They have short, fat little legs that right. barely let them walk. You know these things run as much as they fly. Yeah. Um. You know so their their breasts are gonna be not as plump. You know they're more they're They're built for strength rather than just meat, I guess. So, (laughs) you know, so oftentimes like guys have a very hard, like you'd have a hard time roasting a whole bird. Like say you do like a Thanksgiving turkey that you buy at the store. They have a hard time fitting in your oven because they're so long. Okay. So what a typical thing is, a lot of guys will break them down, you know, because they're almost like two separate the dark meat and the white and the the breast meat the white meat on uh, a wild turkey are almost like two separate things two separate I mean, you should, things, yeah. yeah, you should treat them differently Fair so.
0: so okay, so break it down like you would i mean i'm bird is a bird right There, are I'm sure minor differences <laughs> in the way they're built, but the generalities of mm-hmm. uh the different bits of it are gonna be roughly the same, and I could watch a ton of videos on that i'm sure
1: yeah as well number of recipes you know guys will make anything from grind it to make turkey burgers to uh i mean like my father-in-law makes um he breaks them down brines them smokes them that makes really good um like sandwich meat i mean they're just any number of things let your imagination go wild man it's (laughs) that's (laughs) my favorite part of
0: most of this is the cooking i love the cooking part of it it feels better feels so good mm-hmm so okay cool well i feel like that is a decent at least primer and i got most of my questions asked do you uh use any kind of tick repellent when you're out there because you've flirted with lyme disease
1: before haven't you i i have flirted with lyme disease okay um and uh it there is like
0: you're gonna get made by the turkeys for smelling like no repellent you, like you, you would not you deer. won't
1: um, so you can use your regular DEET. Um, the mm. thing that I've heard works the absolute best is permethrin. Okay. And, um, permethrin is something you gotta be very careful I was gonna with. I say, is it gonna
0: make my swimmers go in circles or something weird like that?
1: It's literally something like, do not get it on your skin. Hmm. Like, what they do is, like, you hang your clothes up, treat your clothes, let them dry, mm. and then put the clothes on.
0: Ah, that seems... That seems like just maybe more intensive a chemical than I want to flirt
1: with, but it works. So, okay. oh, it, well. so, in North Dakota, I don't have to worry about Lyme's disease. Um, in Minnesota, you might have to. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I that's don't that's want where I flirted. It. <laughs> yeah, that's where I flirted with it at. So okay, okay, um, um, and
0: like clearly because they're such visual birds, go full camo. Yeah, like face this is, everything, right?
1: Yep, you've got to you got to be concealed when it comes to Cherokees. Um camouflage very helpful. Um if you can't, you know, it you know, let's say you just have like regular like earth tone stuff, like I'm wearing like a gray sweatshirt and uh, like tan Duluth Trading Company pants. You know, yeah, that's early what this season. Yeah, like early in the season, like even what I'm wearing I could probably, as long as I, like, had something to cover the shine of my face and my hands, like, I could probably blend in with, like, the brown of the forest floor and, like, with my back to a tree. So, does would like, look that, like a rock or something. Huh? Yeah, that, that might work, you know, but try to have something, to, you know, right. get behind, like, some other brush, something to break up your outline. Okay. Um, highly recommended.
0: So, I mean, clearly cover is better, but I mean, I could essentially sit up against a tree and just be real still and call them in, huh? As what, about long a gun? As what about the gun? Um,
1: so some, there's there's specific turkey guns out there that okay. people that are, like, well camouflaged and they're a little bit different kind of shotguns. Um, some guys kill, there's, like, removable, like, camouflage socks. They're, uh. like, an island-type thing. Some guys will put those over their shotguns. Um, they, I think they, they could kind of cumbersome, they slide on the gun, you know, so mm. you don't necessarily have the best grip, so, eh, you, know, they, yeah. you know, there is, like, almost, uh, so what I've done with some of my other guns, like, when I'm predator hunting, yeah. is they make, um, like, a non, like, tape that only sticks to itself type stuff. Oh, yeah, I've seen
0: you do that with your varmint gun way back yep. when we you, lived in the yep, same you house can wrap
1: your gun in that you know because that shine can definitely get you give you away okay you know so if you can you remove that shine wrap that even if it's just the barrel mm-hmm. you know so you have a pump shotgun so you're not gonna be able to wrap like the the, the, the pump part of it you know because it, right. it won't you will not move anymore mm-hmm. but you know you wrap even just parts of that gun yeah that might make a difference so okay
0: so kind of like everything else i mean like you want to take incremental steps and each little thing you do is uh, i mean it gives you a little bit more each thing a little bit more potential at least right
1: certainly it, yeah let's let's say just bare bones you have a 10% chance and you do 10 little things the 1% a piece that brings you up to a 20% chance 10 20% sounds a lot better than 10 right right, like those, right. those are odds you'd almost gamble on right right
0: exactly <laughs> or at least i would you know Spend a couple of bones on a uh,
1: right camouflage you
0: know. tape to wrap the barrel of my barrel and stock of my gun mm-hmm. in right
1: right. So and and I know one thing is you I know you're learning more about all the different things you can do with um, different parts of the animal right. They're, you can actually make your own turkey call out of a wing bone to use really? on out, out of those slate calls. Yeah, Dude, that'd be killer
0: to make my own call out of my first mm-hmm. turkey. Yeah. Wonder I mean, <laughs> like most of the reason why I want to shoot a coyote is to make a killer hat out of it, to be honest.
1: <laughs> right. You know, so, um, that gives you a little more incentive. So. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Awesome.
0: Okay. Well, uh, that's, I mean, a ton of awesome and useful information. So my next hurdle on this whole thing, my cat's all in my business here. He wants attention pretty bad. Uh, my next hurdle on this whole thing is find the spot to go, which kind of uh, last time we talked, we talked about it's, uh, uh, what did you call it? It's convention season, right? We're yep. down in that gap between uh, your fishing license is no good anymore. Uh, Soon. You can't really hit those walleyes or those northerns. You can Here you can hit panfish all day, but the ice is starting to get rotten. We got... So much snow on top of our ice. We'll probably have ice for, we'll probably have ice till May with all that snow sitting on top of it. But that makes it even weirder to know what's underneath there with all that snow sitting on top of it. So you're probably not getting out there as much, although the fishing is good, um, as I understand it. But it's convention season, so um, Um, we talk a lot about what you should do on this podcast. Um, So what I did do is last weekend here uh, at the Minnesota State Fairgrounds, Second largest state fair in the nation. Second only to Texas, of course. Of course Texas has the largest state fair in the country. Um, What's up, Texas? Uh, But they had the uh, Deer and Turkey Classic there. Mm -hmm. um, Which was, I didn't make it till Sunday, but I was actually headed to the gym. Because I don't know, have I mentioned it? I'm training for a marathon. I've probably said it about a hundred times on this podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, we got it, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: all-encompassing, man. It's, uh, it's something. It's, it sure is something. But I was headed to the gym to take a sauna actually because I was feeling a little uh, like I needed one. And in the locker room, I saw somebody had just taken a handful of coupons for free entry into the Deer and Turkey Classic and just scattered them into the uh, locker room. So I grabbed a couple of them and took my five and a half year old out to the deer and turkey classic. And it was, it was really, really cool to uh, see all sorts of cool stuff there. I was kind of scouting maybe a little bit for an idea that I
1: had to make sure that uh, I'm not
0: stealing somebody's style, but.
1: Oh, Hey, by the way, yeah, like I went with on that idea. I went to Shields the other day yeah. and I did not see anything quite like you're describing now granted right. it's not quite in season right for that like they'll expand their offerings later yeah. but like i didn't see anything so you still okay. might be onto something with that so how's uh, that for a tease there listeners? you go <laughs> more to come on that
0: i just need to move quickly um but we'll see how that all works out <laughs> yeah um but i went to this deer and turkey classic and you know i went to the ice fishing show earlier this year and i've been to a couple of these here and there but uh i have a little bit different of a perspective now um, chatted up a guy outside of Billings that guides elk hunting, um, talked to a couple guys that manufacture their own brands of, uh, gear and things like that. Uh, one thing I saw that I thought was absolutely genius and, uh, it's, uh, uh, something that I might consider for our bear hunt again to tease for a later episode, cause I need to know what I need to gear up with. And I'm thinking we're probably going to need to get up into the trees a little bit for that. I'm not sure how bad I want to be on the ground for a black bear uh, charging into a predator call and burning honey if that's the case that we find ourselves in. Um, but they had a thing where it was just a like cast metal platform, just not barely wide enough to put your two feet on. And then um, you climb up a tree kind of like a lineman. And it's, a li- it's like a climbing harness, lineman's harness that you sit in and it's attached to the tree. And you lean back from the tree with your feet on this platform and you can sit in that thing all day. And I was like, man, that is genius because you can move it around. You can hide behind the tree and just peek out a little bit. It looks like it gives you a lot more uh, m- uh, mobility and sort of uh, ability than just a normal, like, climbing stand would at that point.
1: I'll and have to I, check that out, yeah.
0: I, I I don't want to get up and go find the business card right now, but I grabbed the business card, and I was like, wow, that is genius, you know? Because it's exactly what I've been talking about. Climbing harness, somebody had a, was a lineman and liked rock climbing and was like, I can strap this to a tree and go hunting from it, you know? <laughs> like, it's one of those genius things that... And I asked him, can I do this with my climbing harness? And... He was like, uh ah, it doesn't have the like lower back support, so you might not want to. But and they were mostly talking about bow hunting, uh. So I don't know, gun hunting might be a different story. Trying to, like, shoulder a high-powered rifle and take that from a, hanging into a in a harness might be a different story. But uh, it, I I thought it was ingenious for what they were doing. Um, but I ended up walking around talking to the backcountry hunters and anglers folks. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up becoming a member of backcountry hunters and anglers, uh, talking about pint nights in my area and all that stuff. But one of the things I was, I was actually chatting up a fellow from Britain who moved here and I was talking about how, uh, I'm sort of a new and returning adult hunter and the challenges I'm facing. And he was like, yeah, I used to hunt in Britain, which I assume you need special, rights from the crown or something like that. It's
1: wildly different. (laughs) Right.
0: And he said he used to do it there, but when he came here, it was hard to find people and places to, and he said he had to do a lot of reading and a lot of research to understand how it works here and find Mm -hmm. places to go and all that stuff. So we were commiserating about that. But then when I joined, he he was talking, he was getting into hunting squirrels and rabbits and stuff. And I was like, see, now that's one of those things where a blend game, waterfowl and deer. That's what we hunted growing up. But there's this myriad things out there that you can get licensed up to hunt and eat. And mm-hmm. I said, like, I would love to get into that in years coming, you know. Rabbit is a delicacy, and squirrels, depending on where you're from, can also be a delicacy. And I'm not, I mean, I'll eat anything. Rabbit
1: is exceptionally good, yeah. Right. I, I love love tail. So. Right,
0: and I mean... well. Yeah. We ate the balls off a buck. I'll eat anything, man. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) So I would love to try squirrels. And if, I mean, they're extremely common around here. And I don't think hunting them is very common around here. So if I can head out and get myself a handful of squirrels and make a meal out of it, I'm completely happy to do that. And he was like, yeah, hey, I'd, I'd actually offer you to offer to take you out. But in the, it was the last four hours of the last day of this convention, or this Mm -hmm. show, and he was like, but I actually told, like, five or six people earlier this weekend that I would take them out (laughs) this next year, so I don't know how I'll do that, but, I mean, I'll keep in touch with these guys, right, and Mm -hmm. one of the things that they gave me is when I signed up to be Backcountry Hunters, to to join Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, they told me, or they gave me this card, free card, for one year, one state free for maps, which... I, I didn't get that. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe you just got to stand there and chat them up for like forever. and Maybe drop that. You have a podcast that they should maybe listen to. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I feel a little, uh, feel a little gross, uh, doing that sometimes, but Hey, got to get the word out somehow. Right. Um, one guy, one listener at a time. <laughs> <one listener laughs> That's how time. We're going to do this. Tony. <laughs> <laughs> right? Absolutely. So thank you for everybody that does listen. You guys are awesome. Um, Been steadily growing so that's good Um, but so they gave me this this uh, card and uh, I recently broke my nice phone and had to get the baseline phone but I believe I can get online and look on their website as well with my membership and all that so I'm going to get that Minnesota one and I told him I lived in Anoka and he said yeah there's a ton of public land out there and that's when the actually chairman of the Minnesota chapter was like here you can just have this get out there and make it happen so that's um, awesome yeah, so that was great. It's really cuts down on a lot of the research that you need to do because you can do all sorts of like coverage and topography layovers and on the maps that say what's uh, public versus the landowner. I think it even tells you who the landowner is. I haven't looked of, at it yeah. much, um, but that's all public records. So I feel like uh, that will really put me over the top on finding some spots over the next year to try and make the public land thing happen. And tomorrow is the Minnesota Sportsman's Show downtown here, uh, the Northwest Sports Show. I'm sure BCHA will be there too, so I'll chat up those cats again. Um, So I'm going to go check that thing out tomorrow as well. So uh, chat a little bit more. I talked to some turkey hunters at the the Deer and Turkey Classic as well. Uh, I don't again, I, it's, it, I found it interesting how people don't even know where to start when I walked up to them. Cause they're, you know, if you're going to the deer and turkey classic, like you're probably pretty interested in deer and turkey hunting, right? And mm-hmm. the assumption is it's a lot of, it's a lot of old boys that if you even know what's happening, there's a lot of old boys that have been into it for forever and are looking to buy a new stand or new gear or find a guide or whatever. It's not a lot of I think I find it proportionately less people that have never turkey hunted before just walking in and figuring it out. Right. Mm -hmm. Into things like that. So it's, I kind of took people off guard when I walked up and I was like, Hey, this is cool. This looks fun. I know nothing about turkey hunting, but I'm interested, you know, Mm -hmm. like people had to kind of stop and think back and like take five steps back from where they typically open a conversation about turkey hunting with people. Um, And it was very interesting. So we said go to conventions and talk to people, so I went to some conventions and talked to people, and it was very, very productive for me. So for uh, those of you out there that are new and looking for more information like that, no joke, we said it before, but you know, money where your mouth is, take the actions. It's really, really found it very, very enlightening and uh, useful to get out there and do that. So. Absolutely. Um, I was also talking to a couple of previous guests that we've had on here, Caitlin and Michelle, if you haven't listened to our episodes entitled, why does the camo have to be pink? Please go back and listen to those. Those are some of the, I'm I'm very proud of those two episodes. It's uh, a couple of adult onset hunter women that we talked to about, uh, deer hunting specifically, but please go back and look at those. And I was talking to them at a happy hour and said, Hey, you know, you guys want to go try and figure out how to shoot some turkeys this spring and fall. I said, yeah, let's sign up for the DNR, Uh, because here in my state, the Department of Natural Resources does a guided turkey hunt, and uh, essentially you can sign up through the DNR to have them take you out and show you the ropes. And by the time we've talked about it, it's too late to apply for it, but I'm hoping the DNR has a stand at the sportsman's show tomorrow and maybe I can chat them up a little bit and see if we can maybe find our way into a uh, DNR-sponsored turkey hunt a little bit, see if there's maybe an open spot still. We'll just see. I doubt it. You can it. try. But you're it's worth you're chatting probably about. a
1: better luck next year.
0: <laughs> hey, that's fine. And I'm sure they do it in the fall too. You know, like, right. I'd be perfectly fine just getting out there in the spring and trying to, you know, uh, wander my way through figuring it out a little bit, and then doing the guided hunt in the spring with uh, you know a person who dedicates their life to natural resource and wildlife management. So, one
1: uh, before we go any further, and I think we're done with turkey hunting, right? Forever. Yeah, I mean that's all the questions okay. I have. I feel like I absorbed a good I, amount of I, information. I am I'm, I'm embarrassed. I should have brought this up the very first thing. And I'm going to preface this by saying that. I'm gonna say that one thing, and then I'm gonna immediately negate it a little bit, but the, because the odds are still incredibly low, so don't get scared. Okay. Those are the overall. It's just so, if I recall, like the turkey hunting has the highest or one of the highest of hunter accidents okay. of people getting shot in the woods.
0: Oh, I have heard it, that actually. I've heard several stories of guys
1: and it. And I, the... and I, and I and this brings me this bring you right back. Like I said, please do not be scared to go in the woods just because you're turkey hunting. It's still exceptionally low, but it does require a little bit higher vigilance. Like there's a lot of turkey hunters out there, and, and what usually happens is you got guys calling, and they're coming into these calls right because mm-hmm. they're trying to sneak up on a turkey you know and then if you're behind <laughs> that decoy you know you know you might get whacked yeah you know if you're if you're not careful you guys so, calling at know. each other
0: and thinking they're both turkeys
1: yeah so a couple things you can do you see another hunter in the woods you know announce yourself yeah you know because and, and you might scare it. off
0: the flock but it's better than don't you wave out
1: don't wave at him you know use a human voice and say hey i'm over here type deal you know and you know and never ever ever wear anything that's white red or blue in the turkey woods when you're turkey hunting because they call them thunderheaded or thunder chicken jelly heads for a reason because they're those those white blue or red heads you know they stick out like a sore throat You know, and 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 the guys get so excited when they're turkey hunting is you're calling these things in and you're you're, you're a huge adrenaline rush when you get a bird coming in because you called it, you know. So Mm -hmm. what happens is the guys key in on that color, oh gotta be a turkey, shoot, you know. So um just take that extra level of safety, you know, and just you know, be aware of your surroundings, be aware, especially on public land, and be aware there's gonna be other hunters out there, you know, or uh, good chance, you know, so just um you know, be exceptionally careful, and, and don't again, take was, a
0: shot unless you know exactly what yeah. you're shooting at.
1: Right. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna say it again. Yes, it's it's one of the highest rates of hunter accidents, but the overall percentage is still basically, I mean, statistically super low. So don't think, oh, I can't go turkey hunting. It's it's just, you know, just be careful when you're in the woods. I mean, that's just common sense. Right.
0: So shoot don't shoot unless you're sure because that's, mm-hmm. that's best that's the best advice about shooting that i can think mm-hmm. of and also you don't want to get shot but you also don't want to shoot a guy you right <laughs> yes so or gal i suppose um so okay well awesome thank you for all the advice i will follow <laughs> up on uh how this actually works out for me because on to finding a spot and making time but um dedicated i want to do this i want to figure it out i want to make it happen for myself and again you know my licensing times are you know i got a couple of months here but i could probably pull together a few weekends over a couple of months to make that happen for myself so that's the plan All Right. Okay. Um, recurring state or recurring segment
1: you want to leave it off or do you want,
0: or should i uh, I think I put you on the spot last time.
1: So okay, I you can, can go ahead this time.
0: Okay, last wild game, meet, last wild game meal I made. Uh, so, what we've been doing with weekends at home now, because we're not headed up to the lake as much, is on Sunday mornings, when it's me and Will, my son, we uh, are making our own homemade pizza dough. So, you get some bread dough, a little active dry yeast, some sugar, water uh a little bit of oil and you you know mix it up whatever he has fun he gets to get his hands all sticky and gross in the piece of dough mm-hmm. and then it's kind of an all-day thing right we make we have fun with it like oh you let it rise and you go check on it and you have the timer going then it gets excited and it's an all-day mm-hmm. thing right so and then by the time mom gets home from the horse farm on sunday evening we have little individual pizzas to make And then you flatten it out and I I throw it in a cast iron skillet and throw it in a crazy hot oven. But, uh, so what I did last time is I got that half, half venison, half bacon ground as ground. And I browned some of that up and on my little individual pizza, did a little pizza sauce, little cheese, smattering of pepperonis, a bunch of that half bacon, half venison ground, some mushrooms, some red onions, more cheese. Dumped it in there, chucked it in the oven until it was done, and pulled out a little cast-iron skillet pizza for myself with that venison on there. And it and, was absolutely delicious.
1: Who doesn't love pizza? I who mean, doesn't love pizza? Yeah, and if, if you could do that with your own wild game. Right. I mean, come on.
0: <laughs> the only thing I thought would have made it better is if I would have had some, uh, like some uh, uh, cured venison sausage to replace the pepperoni to throw it on there. Um, Oh, but yeah, yeah. But, uh, I mean, it is a versatile use of just regular old ground. I didn't make anything fancy, but I just threw some of that venison on my pizza. I also had, uh, half and I only used about half of that pound because I mean, half a pound of ground venison on a whatever 14 inch Mm -hmm. pizza is a lot of ground venison on there. Right. Um, So then also I took the other half of that and, uh, I'd bring lunch to work, and I I had myself a little uh, Caesar salad, just, you know, salad mix as a side to my lunch. Just a little salad mix, a little greens mix with Caesar dressing, and then I threw some of those sliced up mushrooms and Parmesan cheese and the rest of that ground venison in there and had that for lunch one day.
1: Baller. Yeah, it was good,
0: man. It was good. And, again, super sort of fundamental, I would call, usage, but... That's what ground medicine is for, you know?
1: It's American as hell, man. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> so that was the last thing I had.
1: That's a so sweet. Yeah. All right, so a uh, couple things. I I learned to can. Oh, I went nice. and got, like, big-ass, like, pressure cooker. Yeah. Like, pressure canner thing from Menards that, just like a stovetop one. Mm-hmm. And so I went and made a bunch of... Right. I, I experimented, I guess. Uh, it wasn't a bunch. I made like four quarts of venison stock mm. and canned it. And like it just really awesome, just super rich stock. Yeah, and yeah, I, I yeah. can't believe it waited. so salt I did basically do that with, with bones and you, yeah. you can find a number of recipes online. Carpuses. I used Hank Shaw's bone, bone broth recipe okay. and it worked really well. I've been doing right.
0: actually bone broth with uh, just leftover bones from the – Meat with bones that I buy and have around here, so that's awesome, man.
1: Yeah, so so then I took one of those that I made, and from the same deer that I made the bone broth, I made asabuco with uh, that <laughs> venison broth. You so know? good. And it, it it's so and it sounds fancy, but it, it just it's, it's basically just braised shanks. Yeah. And the, the beauty of making asabuco compared to like if you try to like trim out those shanks like if you, you try and trim shanks on a deer and you could think of a shank on a deer is essentially like if from your elbow to your wrist yeah imagine this at home and so just go ahead and grab that on your own body right now and like, no, like give it a twist feel it around flex your fingers and stuff and Lots you can feel just how many connective tissue and all this stuff that's in there and tendon and whatever so if you were to trying to trim that out like you it just, you end up with a tiny little pile of meat and it's not worth it. So asabuko, you just like braise that down. So super slow and low. So you take that Whip. shank,
0: that, that area yep. between the yep. wrist and elbow really, and you just kind of cut cross sections out of it, right?
1: So I just, I basically cut them in half. Like I'll yeah. cut like the, like the, the big ball or the, the you know, the, the, the heavy end off of them, you know, yeah. like they just. Like a ball of bone, yeah. so I'll cut that off of both ends, and I'll cut the whole thing in half. And I use a reciprocating saw, and I yeah. have a designated like blade, like bone saw for that. Yeah. Time, yeah. time was some butcher string, you know. Yep. So yeah. all that then, stuff doesn't fall
0: off in the brazing process.
1: Yep, yep, yep. So uh, some people do it in just like a Dutch oven. So what I did, mm. on it, I didn't have a lot of time, so I threw it together in the morning mm. and put it in the crock pot. Nice. So and then just put it on low time to get home it's done you know so use that bone broth throw in a can of tomato sauce um give, you know your standard mirepoix onion celery carrot mm-hmm. chop that up you know, and then uh, use any sort of aromatic you got usually thyme oh, is one thyme. of the ones yeah. so what Believe. i did was uh, i didn't have any thyme so i used rosemary and sage Oh, still Uh, so good, though. Yeah, still so good. So what you do is you take those shanks and, like, um, you know, give them a good dry rub of cinnamon, salt, and pepper. Throw those in the frying pan, right, and, like, brown them on all sides. Stick all that in the pot, you know, put it on low walk away in the morning yeah, uh. come back in the evening and then and, and then i served it over polenta yeah,
0: and uh. you know
1: so i've done it before with like chicken stock and i tell you man at doing with the venison stock this really? time it was it was just richer just yeah. It, it was awesome, man, and uh, so I mean, you know, I've done, I've been doing shanks, you know, buco for a couple of years now. Like, yeah. I'll never trim out a shank ever. No. I just won't, you know, osso it, it sucks. If you only get two meals of it essentially. You can do the front legs so and the hind legs. Though. Yeah, for for my household, but I mean, it, it, it's so, it sounds fancy, but honestly, it's so easy. He's got know, this
0: whatever French name or whatever that is. I don't know if it's Italian, Italian. or French, but. Yeah. uh you recommended that to me last year, and mm-hmm. I actually did that, and oh boy, I used uh, Outdoor Life's recipe, and it was yep. so dang good. Like, it's, like, I got compliments at work over it. People were like, ooh, fancy, you know? And I was like, it's just, mm-hmm. it's really not, you know? Yeah,
1: it's not. And I, I think I used basically the variation of that same recipe. Like, I found a video yeah. online for it. Yeah. So like, I'm not trying to steal anybody's things, but I mean, basically, all also buku is shanked that are braised in broth. Yeah. You know, don't you know? So you, go wild with it, you know. But that's that's how I've done it now that I've you know learned to make my own broth and can it, so I don't have to stick it in the freezer. If you don't want to can stuff, you know, put it in a a quart um, dog, right? or uh, top of work container and freeze it. We've we've froze a lot of stock like that before. Oh, for sure. So. And it's so, so good
0: for you too. Like, is that if, if you make, like, legit bone broth out of it, you get all of the marrow stuff coming out of the bones, all the good stuff for mm-hmm. you, and that you throw some of that connective tissue from the asabuco or from the carcass that you make your broth out of, and you mm-hmm. get all that glucosamine and all that just amazing good stuff from you mm-hmm. out of it. Like, I mean, like, ancestrally speaking, humans used to eat... All of that stuff off the animal, like tendons and stuff. Just brief aside, mm-hmm. I made uh, some pho the other day, the mm-hmm. Vietnamese noodle stuff, and that calls for soup bones, right? And I try to get the ones with all the marrow sticking out of them and the you know mm-hmm. stuff still sticking on the bones. And I peel all that stuff up off, the, off there and chop up those tendons and put it right in my bowl of food because we were. Like, humans ate that stuff, and you get stuff from that. And when you just eat that, like, marbled meat with a little bit of fat on it, you don't really get that. But with mm-hmm. that stock and bone broth that you make, you get all that distilled down into that delicious, rich broth. That sounds so amazing. <laughs> i yep. hungry and right it, now. It man. is, like, like,
1: like it's so super easy to can it, too. Yeah. Like, I'm so excited that I've, like, finally embraced that learned how to can now so I can, like, free up some freezer space. And it makes, like meals easier right you, you know just they, i don't, don't have to thaw anything i just take out the shelf you know and i got a really good seal on it my first time trying it it's nice. not complicated yeah. so yeah i'm stoked with like a brand new world in front of me here it's amazing <laughs> i've heard of people
0: doing it actually with their venison meat itself if they have their own stock like mm-hmm. putting it in that stock and then canning or jarring it right up in that stock yeah
1: so i'm gonna well i'm gonna try that yet this spring the next thing i'm gonna try is uh um actually make it up some, some pemmican so i'm pretty ex- that's gonna be uh an interesting foray into uh um venison so nice. and then but yeah i'm also yeah i want to do that canning thing so i can like make like quick meals so sure. um i'm out hunting or wherever you know you just like take out that you know jarred stuff like you can either heat it if you want to, mm. or you can not just like put it on a cracker and eat it.
0: Yeah. So absolutely, so, yeah, pretty stoked. Nice. That sounds awesome, man. That sounds delicious. So, well, thanks for all the information. <laughs> we'll yeah. follow up more about all that. Um, you said that uh, you're not as experienced of a turkey hunter as you are with other things. So it'll be interesting to see how we both fare and the learning experiences that we get out of the next couple of turkey seasons here. Um, so, you know, the best thing you can do for yourself is educate yourself, get out there, get involved. Uh, there are all sorts of er, uh, associations for that. North American Wild Turkey Federation. Hey, why don't you give them a shot? See what happens. Become a member of those backcountry hunters and anglers. I believe we're both members now. That's my favorite. Um. And they do a lot in the world of legislation that we talked about on our last podcast to make sure that we protect our ability to access and use public lands, um, across America, because, uh, as I understand it, turkeys are one of the most, uh, one of the poster child species for the North American model of game management, which I wanted to touch on too, but, uh, as I understand it, like it's a all-around success story for the North American model of game management for turkeys specifically taking what was at one point a dwindling population and making them thriving and actually increased outside of their native range in some places, I believe.
1: If I recall, there's more turkeys taken in Wisconsin's opening day today. Like, these years or maybe it's just one season but I, I want to say it's almost like the opening weekend or something like that then there was turkeys like there you go in the turn of the century in uh, 1900s like Amazing. It's that's we've come that far.
0: So there so. you go and it's because of the efforts of these associations like this and uh, wildlife management models that state and local regulatory agencies work under. So get involved. You know, if this is something you're interested in, throw your time at that. Uh, There's also, I mean, Rocky Mountain Elk Federation, Ducks Unlimited, Pheasants Forever, Quality Deer Management Associations. Just, you know, show up to the meetings, meet some people, talk to some folks, educate yourself, and uh, get involved with all that stuff. Plus, there's new hunter programs and just volumes and volumes and volumes of educational materials to get the information that you need to uh make sure that you get out there and get the time in and be successful in uh hunting and fishing so thanks to craig minoa and cloud cult for letting us use their song running with the wolves last thing you need to do is sharpen your teeth dig deep and get out there with
1: the wolves we're screaming
0: Cubicles and little flaming pies.